I'm Dorianne Wheel. Welcome to Thrive with Dr. D. Welcome everybody to Thrive with Dr. D. When I think of Thrive, many things come to mind. We don't want only survival, we want thrival. We want the ability to face our challenges and overcome them and rise above them. And my guest today, Gaynor Young, is the absolute epitome, example and inspiration of just that. Welcome to you, Gaynor. Thank you. It's really great being here. So thank you, Joey. Thank you. Now, Gaynor, I'm sure that many people remember the devastating and tragic accident that you went through when you fell right down a five-story lift shaft at the State Theatre in Pretoria many years ago. At that time, you were an actress. Your career was taking off. You were literally thriving. You had been in many, many productions and had gained acclaim. And your dream of being on the stage and performing was manifesting absolutely in front of your eyes. You were being sought after and you were really on the rise as an actress. So tell us a little bit about before the accident, the dream and and the path that you were following. Do you know what, Dari, what is just so amazing is the fact that nowadays I can remember not one single instance ever of setting foot on stage in my life before my accident is all completely gone. So when you say to me, do you remember your dreams? I don't, all of that's gone. But I do know, I do know that I still am a very ambitious person. And so I would have been a very ambitious actor. I know that, that I loved it. I made so many wonderful friends I still have to, to this day, which, which is wonderful. But I'd done a fellow which was directed by Janet Sussman, who came out from overseas. She directed that, that with us, and there were three women in it, and I was the woman that was playing Bianca, the whore, which, Tori, is quite funny because at that stage of my life, I was playing a whore, and yet I was a very much a virgin. So it was actually so hilarious. And I remember Janet Sussman saying to me the one, the one time, like, you know, I want, I want you to remember how you felt the first time you were taken to bed. And I began to cry. And she said, what's wrong? I said, poor Janet, I've never gone to bed with anybody. So, so she, she said, no, baby, Gaynor, all right, well, well. You can use your imagination, can't you? I said, yes, yes, fine. So she said, well, I want you to imagine. (laughs) I played a very sensuous, wonderful um, part of Bianca, and and that gave me a a lot of pleasure. So maybe just to start the story, and you've recreated some of your life through listening to other people, through hearing the story. Yeah. Shown pictures. Yeah. But let's start on your journey. So it's really been, I mean, more than a challenge. It's been, in some ways, an insurmountable journey. There are effects from the accident. For instance, your memory loss. Yeah. And you've recreated some of your life through listening to other people, through hearing the story. Yeah. pictures. Yeah. But let's start on your journey, first through survival and then to thrival. 
What happened, Daniel? Sorry, after my accident, okay, I spent seven weeks in hospital, okay, and I can only remember one single day of being led outside by the nurses and being put under the trees because I had a whole crowd of friends every day who came to visit me. So the, the nurses said it was better if I sat outside where I could see everybody. I knew that I was deaf, but nobody else knew. My parents were only told the day before I left the hospital, the doctor said, but he said, I just assumed that you knew that Gail was deaf. And mum said, no, we had no idea. He said, oh, yes, she's a deaf woman. You had been in hospital for all that time, you know, living inside yourself, being deaf, and nobody knew it. But Gaynor, may you please take us back? to the accident and tell us what happened okay because we're we interested in how you got to this place from then until now okay i was the understudy for the part of guinevere in camelot and i had loved that musical ever since i was a little girl so when i auditioned for the part i didn't get the lead as i wanted kate normanton got the lead but I took the part of the understudy for the lead, hoping that Kate Normanton would fall ill. She did fall ill, which was fantastic, yeah. okay? And so on the 9th of December, 1989, I was called on that afternoon and evening. And I, Dory, I can't re remember, but I'm just picturing myself standing in the wings. I must have been terribly excited i must have been so nervous because i had never ever had a dress rehearsal i'd never ever had a tech rehearsal goodness knows why i said that i would go on without ever having had a rehearsal but i went on without ever having had the, those rehearsals and dari to put it in everybody else's words i was fan bloody tastic that afternoon's performance okay but then just before interval, there was a blackout on stage. I had to get off stage and change into this wonderful long dress, then come back on stage again. At the same time, at the back of the stage, they were changing the scenery. One scene was going down and the next scene was coming up. So there was a gap, a small gap that existed for 42 seconds. Somehow, Dory, I must have mistaken the way that I was turning because I stepped into this gap. And I fell 18 meters, which is the equivalent of five stories, onto hard concrete below. Now, mum and dad saw the place where I fell. And mum said, said again, there was only one place where you could have fallen and possibly survived. And that was on that little square of concrete. Because she said, otherwise, there was a whole lot of wires where you would have been electrocuted. Otherwise, you would have been crushed by the machinery. So she said there was one place where you could have survived and you fell. So I remember that day. So for all intents and purposes, Gaynor, there was not much chance of even survival. Yeah. When they found you, almost every bone in your body and your face yeah. was crushed. Yeah. You then spent, I mean, you were alive from the point of view that you were breathing. You were in hospital a lot of the time unconscious. You came to consciousness. Nobody, well, the doctors knew, but no one else even realized yeah. 
you know, that you were deaf until seven later. Then, Dory, I then went home at, to, to my, my parents' home in George to recuperate. And that was when, oh, that was when my therapy began. I went to occupational therapy, speech therapy, physiotherapy, and psychotherapy. Every single day, I mean, I would leave home with, with, with mom at half past eight, and we would re return home at about 12. She took me down to Mossel Bay, which is a good three quarters of an hour's drive away, twice a week, okay, to my, my therapy. And I wouldn't be as I am today if I, if, if I hadn't had such wonderful therapy. But, Dory, I wouldn't be as I am today if I, if I hadn't been surrounded by so much incredible love. And that was what pulled me through and made me as I am today, was just being surrounded by so much love. So, Gaynor, in many times like this, because I seem to remember that actually when you were discharged from hospital, there was very considered by the doctor advice to tell your parents when they took you out there. Uh, what was the advice from the doctor at the time? Ah, well, the doctor spoke to mum because dad had had to go back to, to the farm. He was needed on, on the farm. So only mum was there. And he said to mum, Frankly, Mrs. Young, if Gaynor was my daughter, he said, what I would do is I would put her into an institution and basically forget about her because, he said, she's going to be unable to do anything other than what she's doing today, which is lie on her back, staring upward at the ceiling because I wasn't able to close my eyes, staring upward at the ceiling, and that is going to be your daughter's life for the rest of her life. I'm sorry, but I would put her into an institution and basically forget about her because he said, there's nothing for her, nothing. And mum looked at him and she said to him, are you out of your mind? So mum and I, we left the, the next morning. We had to catch um, an ambulance at half past five the next morning so it'd be um, evaded the press. We caught an ambulance back to, to the farm, and then I began my recuperation on the farm, where I went to all of my therapies on the farm every single day. And, um, sorry, I remember lying there. Oh, you see, now I remember lying there on, on the farm and thinking, I have to get better. I have to get better because I've, I've got to get back to to Joburg. I've got to get back to the theatre world. And that was my main thing, to get back to the theatre world. So Gaynor, there's three lessons that um, you have said and I need to capture them. Okay. The first one was you are here and crediting the love that surrounded you. You're talking yeah. about the healing yeah. power of support. Yeah. Because, you know, right now going through the challenges that we are going, to have some support in your life is incredibly important, to be able to connect with people, even if you have to be isolated. Mm. Your parents, there was no alternative for them. Yeah. And many of the people that surround you, and it sounds like there was no alternative for Because the thoughts that you do remember is, about I have to overcome this and I have to get back. 
Yeah. So there was no sign, even at the very, very beginning, when honestly, statistically, things could have been really, really a lot different. There was no sign of anyone on the outside of you or in the inside of yourself that said to you, I can't do this, I'm going to give up. I'm sure that many times on your journey, you were incredibly frustrated and went through a lot, but you were in a direction. Dory, yes, but you know what? And I, I am saying this, there are times, there are those times where you wake up in the morning and I remember I used to wake up in the morning and lie there in, the, in bed and think, I don't want to get out of bed. I don't, I don't want to have to face, I don't want to have to face this nightmare of a life. I want it all to go back to how it was. Please, God, let it go back to how it was. And I wanted to close my eyes and return. But there was no way because, because, Dory, I, I loved life. And I wanted to enter into life again. So I thought to myself, all right, okay, that means I'm going to have to start to move again. Okay, all right. So, and so I went to physiotherapy. But, Dory, I went to physiotherapy not being able to hear because I hadn't been given a hearing aid yet. So I went to physiotherapy and I thought, ah, I'm coming here because this is to teach me how to walk again. Meantime, the doctors had said to mum and dad that they didn't think that I would ever walk again. Now, if I had known that, I don't, I don't know what, what, what my attitude would have been. I don't know whether I would have thought, oh, well, they say I can't walk again. Well, that's it. I don't think so. I hope not. The, so you are now saying that kind of people sometimes live up to other people's expectations and predictions, especially if they're people in authority. So you're saying that it served you well, very well, that you didn't know that these doctors were saying this in yes. the background. Yes. It would have influenced you differently on your um, path. And so you were determined, of course, you had bad days. I think people do. Actually, everyone does. But, you know, you were certainly allowed with the state that you were, were in. And so you went through this forcing yourself sometimes, being carried along by your parents and friends. Yeah, and yeah. always to you was even in the face of feeling hopeless sometimes, just got up and you were very, very determined. Yeah. So you started getting better and you started being able to walk. Can you tell us a little bit about the recovery? Yeah. Um, you know what, Dory? The fact that I couldn't, I couldn't walk or talk or I didn't even know when, when I came out of hospital, I didn't know what a knife and fork were and how to use them. So I had to be shown each single thing. In actual fact, Dory, I was like a 28-year-old babe in arms. So that I had to be shown everything. So in learning how to walk again, it wasn't a case of learning how to walk again. It was a case of learning how to sit up first of all, because I didn't know, I, I, and I would slip to, to the side. So it was a case of learning how to sit up, how to hold your body, and then how to put your feet on the ground. 
and and to feel to feel the ground beneath you so it was a gradual a process of of learning each single thing so that i can't say i went to physiotherapy and i learned how to walk again because no it wasn't like that it was far more it was learning how to live again yes you had to learn everything yes. it was learning how to live again from scratch from scratch and you there must have been huge frustration along the way yeah and you were disturbed and the memory of the accident and the uh, not even the thought of going back there but the demon that you had to deal with mm. lived inside you about what happened yeah. how did you maintain the determination to not give up and then to face that demon which was a huge obstacle to your progress oh you know what dory i've always been the sort of person that tries like i i was a useless tennis player i was only in the c team of tennis but i used to hit up against the wall every single day in an attempt to try and improve my my tennis and this is what i'm saying happened to to me with my my recovery was the fact that i wanted to be able i wanted to be normal again that was the thing i wanted to be normal and dory that is still the thing with me because whenever i see myself my spasticity gets out of control i think to myself kino kino don't because you you need to you, you need to appear normal and that is the 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 thing so i attempt to walk again because i wanted to appear normal my speech i was unable to say a word i remember lying in bed and trying to tell mum to put the bed down but i couldn't get the words out i couldn't speak so it was learning to speak again and then getting my cochlear implants okay and hearing what i sounded like i realized gosh again or you're pronouncing these words wrongly they sound terrible so that again made me attempt to get more normal and attempt to speak normal more, more normally today dory i still say my s's wrongly and i think to myself damn but that's something that i i don't think i will ever get right because of of, of my mouth yeah so you mentioned um i know that there've been several many in fact appearances public appearances mm. you do inspirational and motivational speaking. yeah you an author you know you've written your best seller book a plunge to fame and one of the moments that you've just mentioned now on the journey is that you couldn't hear for a long time and then you had cochlear implants which changed your life what was that life and what happened well you are asking me what what was it like going from a world of not being able to hear into a world where you can suddenly hear again dai what is like it's like the doors are being opened to life for me that is exactly because all of a sudden life was open to me again i was once more able to hear i was once more able to participate i was once more able to to communicate and that was the most wonderful thing you know 
And it was sudden, right? I mean, it was you recall the experience with you and the therapist, and I think your parents were there, when they were testing whether the operation, cochlear implant, was successful. It was a magic couple of minutes. What happened? Yeah, it was the, the most amazing moment because I, I'm Jenny Perrault, my audiologist, she was working with me on a co computer and she ha had attached a hook behind my ear, okay? And she said to me, right, Jane, I want you to, to tell me when you can hear a sound. Right, okay. And I, I didn't hear, didn't hear, didn't hear. Then I said, ah, Jen, I said, I'm hearing, it's as if I'm hearing a breeze at the bottom of four rugby fields. That's what I said. So Jane just smiled and nodded and clicked her way at her keys. Then I said to her a few moments later, ah, ah, you know what, Jen? I can definitely hear a breeze at the bottom of a rugby field. Finally, she said, all right, Gaynor. This was after two hours of her doing this to me. She said, right, Gaynor, I'm going to press a knob and I want you to tell me if you can hear anything. So she pressed a knob and I sat there and I waited. And I waited, and I waited, and, and, Dory, suddenly it seemed as if the whole world surged towards me with this almighty force, so that I, in actual fact, I was sitting in a chair, and my chair actually went back, and I, I said the only thing possible to, to say in a moment like that, I said, <laughs> shit! And then, then I heard a voice say, Gaynor, can you hear me? And I looked at Jenny and I nodded my head. She said, Gaynor, speak, hear what you, what you sound like. So I said, oh, oh right, right. Oh, um, shall I compare ah, thee to a summer's day? Ah. <laughs> can you hear me? I said, yes, Ma, I can hear you. And Dad was sitting there crying. And I said, Dad, speak to me. He said, well, my girl, uh, what do you want me to say? I said, I can hear you. And that was the most magical instant was hearing for the first time. And it just, it was amazing because it brought, because I remembered in hearing the sound, I was able to remember that sound from 18 years beforehand. And I mean, I was an actress and hearing and speaking were incredibly important to me, okay? And to have that taken away from me was the most dreadful thing. I mean, whilst we are speaking of, of acting, I, I just wish to, to say that I had, after my accident, Marilyn von Rienen, had been visiting me on our farm in, in George. She was sitting having dinner with, with, with me and Penelope, PJ Pires. And I said, said to Marilyn, M, I said, please won't you tell mum and dad, because they don't believe me when I say that I, that I will act again. Won't you please just tell them that, that I will act? So Gaynor, they believe you now. 
that hearing was an incredibly important one. I want to, you to, to tell us about the importance of having to face the fear and the way you face the fear with the revisiting of it and going back to the theater. Ah, oh, that's fear. Okay. Dari, because I had had my accident on the upper stage at the State Theatre. The upper stage at the State Theatre was this nightmare to me. I mean, there was no way that I would ever, ever go back there. Then I wrote to ABSA to thank them because they had set up a donation fund for me. This was just after my accident. So about 25 years later, I wrote to them and I thanked them and I said, listen, if there's ever anything I can do for you, you must just let me know. And they said, actually, Gaynor, there is. We would like to come down to, to George and speak to you about it. And they came down and they spoke to me. They then went back to Johannesburg. And I then received a letter from them saying to me, Gaynor, what they wanted me to do was they wanted me to go back to the State Theatre, onto the upper stage, and to say, a poem. I said, I read the letter and I, I couldn't actually believe what they were saying. They wanted me to go back to that nightmare, back to my place of deepest, darkest dread, and say a beautiful poem there, but they out of their minds. And I, I, I burst into floods of tears and I was distraught. And I, I actually sent a letter to Shirley Johnson. She is another actress, but she's also the editor of my, of my book. And I told her about this, and she, she said to me, Gaynor, I think that this is a very big fear of yours. In fact, she said, I think your greatest fear is going back. And she said, because of that, Gaynor, I think that you should go back. Because she said, I think that you need to conquer that fear. You took that on. Describe what happened. Yeah, I went back to, to the State Theatre and I remember my heart was beating so much as we walked onto that stage. And I walked on, on the, to the stage and then I looked out at the audience. And you know what? Inside, I felt this deep remembrance happening inside. Like, yes, I know this place. I know this place. And then I was shown exactly where I had fallen, which was, Dari, it was the small, small slit of a hole that I had fallen into. And I, I, I said, but wasn't it bigger? And they said, no, again, it was just that. That, 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 I said, glory, and I looked at it. And then, Dory, then from behind me came the shot, Gaynor, and I turned around, and there was this gorgeous man, he, he came towards me, and he, his, his whole face was wreathed in smiles, this big, big white smile gleaming out of his gorgeous black face, and he said to me, Gaynor, I'm seeing you. I said, sorry, who are you? So he said, Kino, I worked 
backstage every night of your show. And he said, so he said, I knew you. And he said, I saw you before your performance. And he said, I, I said to you, good luck, good luck. And you said, thank you. And off he went. And he said, then you had your fall. And he said, I thought, this girl, she's dead. I will never, ever see her again. And he said, then I come to work today. And I look out onto the stage and I see you. And he said, I think to myself, I'm dreaming. I must be dreaming. But he said, and he put his arms around me and he said, I'm not because I feel you and you're real. And I said, I, I said, I am so real. And I said, forgive me, but I don't remember your, your name. So, so he told me his name and I gave him the biggest hug. And that, that day was such a momentous moment for me because that was, that was part of the healing of going back was the fact that, hey, Gaynor, you can come back and you can change people's lives as I did to that man who saw me again. And he said, I thought you were dead, but you are alive. It is a miracle. Again, or you being there, I mean, obviously, touched him. he believes in miracles now. You know, that common statement of, oh, for goodness sake, face reality. That's not going to happen. You are absolute thriving proof that we can stretch. We can stretch reality. We could create another reality with the love that you experienced, with the determination that you had inside you. And you've also been able to witness how your life and your journey has become so inspirational to others. See, it was as if a load was lifted at the time. I remember that there was a comment that you said, as you realized where you were back in that place, you stood taller differently. Yeah. It was, it was almost the burden made you feel lighter. Yeah. And you were there and faced it. Yeah. Sorry. You know what, with myself not going back to the state theatre, I was carrying this boulder that was tied around my neck. And this boulder was preventing me from, from going forward. And by going back to the theatre and confronting my worst fear, that boulder was able to be snipped away so that I was then able to stand tall and I was able to look forward and I was able to move freely without anything hampering me and pulling me back as the boulder had done. I was able to move forward freely and that is what going back to the theatre did for me. That part of the healing, yeah. freed you tremendously. Now not only did you go back to the place, you also started working towards and having the courage the determination and I don't want to forget the love to actually go back onto the stage mm. as a performer wrote your, your book documenting the story in a very poignant manner and you more than that you actually have performed since then as well yeah and um, you know what Dory this happened uh, well because and Marilyn Fren Frenrenen is a director. She directed me before my accident. She came to the farm and visited us. And 
I said to her, Anne, please won't you tell my parents that I will act again because they think that there's no way that I will ever act again. And Marilyn looked at me and she said to me, Gaynor, I'm sorry, I tend to agree with everything that your parents believe. You will not act again, she said, because, Gaynor, you're spastic, you can't hear, you walk with a limp. She said, Gaynor, you will not act again. And that was the most tragic moment of my life because this was hearing it from a friend, reality. She was a friend. She wasn't a member of my family. She was a friend and she was speaking the honest truth to me. So this was a very harsh thing for me to have to accept. Then, four years later, Marilyn sent me an email and said to me again, listen, I said to you that you wouldn't act again, she said, and I stand by it. But, she said, I don't see why you can't perform as Gain or Young performing a show about yourself. She said, and Gaynor, I've spoken to Janice Honeyman. And Janice Honeyman has said, yes, you have got the theater for the month of April. So she said, Marlon said, Gaynor, get your script together because she said, we start rehearsals in a month. She said, because you're going on stage in April. I said, Em, I can't believe it. I then went up to Joburg and Marlon and I rehearsed. But you know what, Dory? I found that I couldn't learn words because my memory, it will not retain words. Marlon took my script and she bunched it up into a little ball and threw it to one side. And she said, Gaynor, I want you to forget about the script. She said, I want you to tell me about your life tell me. And on that day, Dory, I began performing for the first time. Which means, Dory, that on opening night, when I went out there on stage, I did not know my opening words. I did not know my closing words. I went out each night onto that stage and I gave a different performance each night. But I knew where I had to stand when I spoke about my childhood, where I had to stand when I spoke about my accident, where I, so I knew my positions, but I didn't know what I would say. So each night, it was nerve-wracking, but each night the, the audience got a totally different performance, which was, I mean, a friend of mine came and she saw it three times. She said, Kano, each time, I saw a different performance. It was wonderful. So that, and, and I, that was a wonderful thing for me, was performing again. And Dory, what just blew my mind was the fact that every single night that I performed, and I performed for six months, every single night I got a standing ovation, which just blew my mind because I'd never ever had a standing ovation before when I was an actress, but I got it after my accident. Yeah. And you could absolutely feel it was palpable. Yes. You could feel the magic that happened there. The, the audience yeah. were connecting with each other yeah. through what they were witnessing from you 
and they were applauding the show, but they were, of course, yeah. applauding the view. People went back again and again and again. Yes. And six months is a really, really long time. And so you, I'm sure you were very, very proud of yourself. I was. Yeah. Yeah, and then that wasn't the, the only show you've done then. You've done another show. That was in 1994. And 10 years later, Merlin said to me, hey, come on, time for your next show. I said, great stuff, Em. What about? So she said to me, listen, you get right, my girl, because we have to fill people in on, on, on what you've been doing since, since last you were performing. And so my, my next show was called Gain or Rising. And it was all about my, myself after my accident and the, the funny thing that used to happen to me. And it was really a wonderful show. And I performed in, in Johannesburg and then I moved to Cape Town. Then I went from Cape Town to Durban then I went back to Cape Town again, and then, then I ended. Yeah, yeah. So you have documented this journey for many, many people, but you've also documented it for yourself. It must have been therapeutic for you on all of these transitional steps along the way, the determination in the beginning, the cochlear implants, the taking your first step, yeah. Um, for the first time, embracing and the joy of of you know seeing your family around, the facing the demon on stage, the performing, the writing of the book, and now you you write a blog, don't you? Yes, yes. I write a blog every two weeks, which is wonderful. But then again, you see, writing now. Before my accident, I used to write wonderfully. Writing now, I have to search for the word because the word is in my brain and I know it's in my brain, but I can't work out where past in my brain it is. So I have to search and search and finally, 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 after much searching, I finally think, yes, that's the word discover. That was what I wanted to, to say, discover. So it takes me ages to write 10 lines will take me a whole morning, whereas before my accident, I used to be able to write three, four, five, six pages, you know. What makes you do it? I mean, you've really overcome, you've moved from kind of almost near death mm. to survival, which was, it was like being trapped in your own body. Your parents didn't even know what was going on with you. And then, you know, you went to survival literally to thrival which is the name of our show yeah you in a place now where i want to say to you if it's so difficult and the writing takes you such a long time what makes you do it can you just sit back and say i've earned some stripes why am i putting myself through this what makes you do it it's a case of life loving life and wanting to put the best out that you can into life so that by putting the best out i find i get the best back that is what i found Dory. i found that by giving you actually get ten thousand times back more back so i will continue to give to life because life gives back so 
and it has given me back so much the whole way through through my life before my career after my accident what i put out has been given back so much more so that i am an incredibly blessed person yeah that is it i'm blessed sure your it's an amazing attitude that isn't just an attitude it's action it's the way you think it's what you believe it's the action translated into steps and into your destiny now as you know just to end one last question been in thank you for sharing this phenomenal and inspirational story as you know we are in a time of not only a health pandemic but also a mental health pandemic yeah what started out as just three weeks of lockdown has turned into a marathon we talk about having to adapt to a new normal, but we don't know. There's so much uncertainty. Like you went through so much uncertainty. Many people don't know what the future looks like, and people don't even know when the future is. Now, I would love to know, through your experience and what you went through yourself, what would you like to say to people who are just, on the verge now of giving up. They might have lost a job, they might have lost money. You know, there's a lot of global mourning that is going on now. There's also global meaning. People are finding meaning in this. But the way that you not only kept going, but gain or rising, really rising above, what can you say to people who are feeling in this place now? You know what? I would say to people what I say to, to myself every day, don't give up because life is what you make it. And life can be wonderful in spite of, uh, of us being engulfed in this dreadful situation that we are in now. By giving, by living, life can be wonderful as long as one continues, I think, to give out. So don't shut yourself off from the world and, and think to yourself, oh, this is dreadful, it's, it's got, got the better of me. Don't do that, don't do that. Rather, go and see a friend or go for a walk and look at the flowers. Life is wonderful, but we are in a bad situation, but that bad situation is not what, what life is about. Life is about so much more. Life is about life. Gaynor, thank you very much. You know, you maintained your vision. You maintained your hope. You maintained the belief in yourself. You embraced what other people gave you. And now you're giving so much back. This message for all of us is just a huge reminder of enormous and unbridled possibility. And you epitomize that. Thank you so much, Gaynor. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm Dorian Wheel. Thanks for listening to Thrive with Dr. D, a jackpot podcast.